Welcome to the Guidelines Podcast, a once every two weeks discussion about applying user-centered design within South Africa. My name is Jonathan Copeland, and on this episode of Guidelines, I sit down with UX researcher as well as co-founder and co-director of Monkey and River, Rendani Kruger. Having studied software development, co-founded his own UX consulting firm, as well as currently completing a PhD about digital innovation in South Africa's public sector, Rindani has a valuable perspective on the role of research within user-centered design. We met up at Rindani's office at the University of Pretoria and spoke about his PhD research, digital minimalism, as well as affordances within design. Enjoy. Rindani, thank you so much for joining us on Guidelines. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I I got to know Rindani in 2017. Uh, As I was saying with my interview with Jacques, when I first started researching UX in Pretoria, University of Pretoria, there were a couple of names that came up, and it was Helene Hildeblom, Jacques Brosens, and Rindani Kruger. And it was cool to get to know you guys, and I ended up working at Monkey River. So I've, I've worked closely with you guys, and I really respect you, and I think you do good work. So it's, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. So, I mean, like, preparing for the episode, um, I, I wanted to prepare for it. Obviously, I know you as a person, but I wanted to research you and see, see what you're up to online and sort of kind of get the nitty-gritty on what you get up to. Um, and compared to other guests I've had on the show, it's been, it was a bit more difficult to find information about what you've, what you've been working on. Like, there's no, like, your Instagram is pretty sparse. Your LinkedIn has the, the bare bones, it has what's important, but nothing more than that. And like that's a theme that I keep seeing come across okay. your your online presence. And I remember the conversation that we had a while ago where you were showing me your phone, and I don't know if, if either you've done it or you were saying that you wanted to do it, but basically you were saying that you wanted to grayscale your screen so that there wasn't as much bright colors that were showing up that weren't going to distract you. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. And I'm wondering, like, is there something behind that mindset on, like, maybe less is more? Um, what are your thoughts? Okay. Um, just gonna... There you go. Okay. Maybe we should uh, start with uh, what UX is that will guide us to answering your question. Cool. So, Perfect. if you want to define it simply, you'd say it's the feeling... Uh, a person has towards a system uh, in our context so UX in another context would be the feeling towards an organization or, or whatever um, and then if you read more about UX you come to the concept of a affordance and how there's a confusion between affordance and system function so uh, system functions are things that a system can do but Affordance is a relationship between the user and the system or object. Um, So if you look at it that way, then there are things that people can use objects for which is not necessarily the purpose of that object. The intended purpose, yeah. The intended purpose. So you're supposed to sit on a chair, but you can also lift a chair and throw it at somebody. And that has implications, but that is also an affordance of that chain. So, if you think about it in terms of technology, 
then uh, we often design systems with purposes that we intend for users, but sometimes or usually they use it in ways that we didn't think that they would, and that might have other implications. Um, so that's the discussion I would like to have. Uh, if we take uh, social media as an example, the biggest one I think of is like the, the last election cycle and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there are, there are many examples in social media. Yeah. Um, so it was intended, it was a college app, so where students get together and can have a quick chat online and, and all of that. But uh, the affordance of social media is clearly a lot different from the intended system function. And when we create new technologies, uh, we should rather consider affordance in my opinion, than simply uh, what systems can do. Um, and if we start doing that, uh, then a large number of social and economical questions come up too. So if uh, the West is creating all these new technologies that people can use, what are the impacts that those technologies are having on uh, audiences that are not necessarily their users. Um, and in South Africa, we can uh, directly see the influence of that with uh, these large online stores. Um, so, take a lot of Technoven in South Africa. It's become a very large online store, and there's not many, there are not many people making uh, a salary from that um, and if that becomes bigger it might take over uh, ShopRite and um, game stores which are employing a lot of people in South Africa but we don't even think about it that way because we're so fascinated with the idea of just clicking on a button online and getting the object delivered to us um, sure. so the possibility a, is of the actual implication Okay. Um, it's a very important question that we should ask. Okay, and in your own personal life, you've almost taken that and done a practical implication of that as well. Yeah, so it, I've done a, a bit of reading about the psychological impact uh, social media might have, and there are a lot of self-esteem issues that you can get from overusing social media. Uh, and it's not clear what that boundary is. You can't say you can have five minutes of social media a day and, and that's fine, you won't get self-esteem issues. Mm -hmm. um, so until those limits have been set, I find it quite risky to do that, to use social media mm -hmm. intensively um, because I don't want to uh, get psychological conditions because of my overuse of technology. Uh, so if an organization like Facebook or uh, uh, Google was considering uh, the, that sort of impact, then I don't think their designs would have been the same way it is designed currently. Um, yeah. It's difficult, and I think for whenever you make a product, I mean, if you look at, say, for example, the Take it back to Twitter. I can remember 
a bunch of tweets that I saw that were directed at Jack, um, Twitter CEO. And they were talking about this thing about, you know, you, you need to make sure that certain type of people aren't on the platform. It's a very tricky line to walk. Yes. And whenever you make a product, I mean, say for example, let's just say our smartphones, they're meant to be useful. They're meant to be as effective as mm -hmm. possible. But the, what's the word again that you said? The, uh, affordance. the affordances of that being such an effective, sticky, useful product is that it, it can get out of hand. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so uh, if you read further about, uh, about design, they say designers are, it's easier for designers to design signifiers, uh, signifiers being uh, the signal of intended use rather than designing the affordance. So uh, let's just use the chair as an example again. If people are not sitting on the chair, designer might come and make an arrow that says sit here, mm -hmm. and um, that gives people the indication that that is the um, internet system function. Yeah. Um, so it, it's at a higher level where it's not only a design concern regarding um, system use, it's also the initial business concept. Um, when you think of creating a new product, especially with software where we can scale it quite easily for everybody to use quickly, we should really start thinking about um, what are the other possibilities of, of the software mm -hmm. and what might the social impact be um, and so forth. But it's a question that should be asked at, at business level, I believe, not or designers should work with business people to, to solve those problems. And it makes it more difficult, but I think uh, it's a concern that um, more, more people should be worrying about. Do you think this, like, this doesn't sound like design thinking? Yeah, so it, it is a it's design. A branch, it's a branch of design thinking. Yes, so um, it's design, uh, it's almost engineering, so if you're uh, creating a new concept, where do you say, uh, when do you say this is design, or when is it engineering, or uh, is it when you're creating the entire product, or is it only when you put the um, pretty pictures on it? Uh, how would you advocate for this? I mean, especially in an environment, like this is for example, you know, you're working on a, on a health app for example, or a smartphone that you wanted to scale across the country. Um, now there's going to be a certain amount of budget, there's going to be, like, how do you, how do you advocate for this? Because this would, it's big questions that we should be asking. Yes. But how do you, how do you make space for that in a, in a, in a business plan? Mm. In a, when there's a budget, when there's employees, when there's a deadline, like we should be doing this, but how? Yeah, so, it's a, it's a fundamental mind shift, I believe, because the, when we design a new product, whatever it might be, the first thing we ask is what should it be able to do? And that is already thinking system functions. If you start with affordances, um, then you are not only asking what should the system be, do, be able to do, but rather what is the implication of designing a system like this? Um, so it starts at the beginning 
Uh, I'd like to shift the conversation and obviously you've, you've been, you've done your honors, you've done your masters and now you're doing your PhD. So, so you've been, you've been working in research for a while as well as lecturing software development at the University of Pretoria. Um, could you tell me about some of the research that you've been working on and what, like, what you've learned from it? Okay, so I've changed my topic um, quite far when Elian was my supervisor. Uh, so I, I did my master's in usability and uh, when I finished it, she, I, I wanted to continue with my PhD in usability and then she asked me, aren't you going to get bored of this? So <laughs> I changed it completely. Uh, and then there was a, a business project that we were doing where there was a, a opportunity to gather a lot of data quite quickly. And that's why I chose to do that. On usability? And not on usability, on a completely different. Okay. And so it's around innovation. Okay. Um, what innovation is, is another topic we can talk about. There are also, we maybe we can. So, there, there are people that say innovation is problem solving, and people say innovation is finding uh, new opportunities to design uh, things for. Or uh, you can say it's uh, creative thinking. Uh, the view that I take is that it's the entire process from an idea uh, through implementation and uh, finally use. Yeah. So the whole process is innovation. Um, we can have another discussion about cool. that. Uh, I can talk an hour about <laughs> okay, cool. uh, different perspectives regarding that. Okay. So what I produced in my master's was um, a methodology people can use to compare the usability of different systems or similar systems. So I got people to use different websites to uh, book airline tickets and then I saw what the differences were and by doing that you can say how a, a specific business can improve the usability of, of their system to make it better than uh, the usability of another business's system. And uh, I think that's pretty important for customer facing uh, uh, solutions because that is the, uh, it has become the primary contact point for a lot of businesses. Um, so ensuring that your uh, interface to the customer is, uh, is better than your competitor is competitive advantage for you quite directly. Um, so that's what I designed my your masters my masters on. So I produced a methodology that people can use to do that. Okay. Um, what were some of the insights from from your masters? So I came up with uh, a bunch of guidelines okay. that that you can use. Um, I did it in a lab setting that constraints uh, influences from the environment. Okay. But some people would disagree with me because people use software at home. But to start comparing that becomes difficult because everybody's home is different and you are trying to uh, emphasize the comparison on uh, the system and not environments. So it gets pretty technical and uh, I don't really... Uh, that can also be a very large discussion. Fair enough, okay. Um, so what I'm doing my PhD on is encouraging innovation in uh, South African public sector 
because one of the implications of the of technology moving so fast and uh, humanity not really considering the implication of technology um, before designing them and only seeing the implication in retrospect is that we have fallen very far behind. So uh, I don't know if you've heard of the concept of the digital divide. Yes, yeah. could you explain it for any listeners? Uh, so the digital divide um, suggests that um, there are a lot of capabilities that you have if you have access to technology and you know how to use it above people that don't. So in a country like South Africa, there are a lot of people that are not educated or poorly educated uh, and they don't have money to buy technology. So the, uh, they are in another sector of the digital divide as compared to uh, people like us that know how to use technology and are very comfortable with it. We, have, we can afford whatever technology uh, we want. Um, so if we just continue buying new technology and upgrading and uh, designing all of these systems, what is going to happen to the class of people that uh, don't understand technology and can't use it at all? Um, getting bigger and bigger. And bigger. So a fundamental question I have is, um, so I don't know if you've heard of the concept of Industry 4.0? No, please tell me. Um, so it's the merger of uh, all the different types of technologies. So you get IoT that um, connects devices onto the internet and uh, devices can talk to each other. You get biological systems. Um, so it's predicted somewhere soon that your body will be able to speak over the internet to an object and it's that sort of idea. Um, and it includes blockchain and all of the new technologies we are, are using today. There's a more formal definition for it which I haven't memorized, but in any case. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> What is the implication of all of these technologies on the digital divide? Yeah. Uh, so it's not just smartphones now. It's like it's the hmm? sort of uh, connected, connected home. It's all yeah. Things, yeah. So, um, is it going to be a requirement in the future that, or oh, it's already a requirement, I guess, that you understand uh, how to use all of these technologies in the workplace? Mm. So. Uh, when robots can do all of the tasks that people who don't understand technologies are doing now, what are those people going to be doing? Mm -hmm. So it's a difficult question to answer, but that's what I want to encourage innovation in the public sector. Yeah, uh, uh, we're now covered in sticky notes. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. What is that for? So I did a, a a bunch of research for a client that I don't want to mention now. Okay, fair enough. There's, there's a lot of uh, restrictions to innovation, mm -hmm. like a, a lack of real-time data to feed innovation is one of the restrictions. Okay. But you can see there's a lot of sticky notes. Yes. Very so <laughs> there is 24 sticky notes about the operational perspective and 26 from a management perspective. Uh, sure, okay. So, but these are all different 
uh, restrictions. Okay. So why uh, a particular organization is not uh, not innovating effectively. And I'm hoping that I can scale that to answer a broader question about the public sector. Is this not called service design? I think I think that's the. It, or, or is it associated with service design for companies? So, so for example, you're looking at like a, um, a delivery service. It's not just the actual how people go onto the website, maybe order something, but yeah. also how the the truck drivers navigate things, how the packages. Is, is, is that service design, or does this come into it, or your, um, your PhD? Yeah, so my PhD, I, I'm having this conversation with myself as well. I think it fits more into business management than it does into UX. Yeah. But UX is very broad, so I can find a way to fit it in as well. This is how I keep the podcast going. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, there, there's a difference between UX and cumulative UX. So there's instantaneous UX and cumulative UX. Do you know the difference? I've never heard of that. So the, the instantaneous UX is when you... When you're actually interacting with it. When you're actually interacting with the technology. The experience from using it for the technology. Yes. Okay. Um, but when you use a specific organization's uh, software tool, whatever interface they present, you have some uh, ideas about that organization, particular feelings already about that organization before the interaction. And then you generate feelings through the interaction with the organization. And then whatever the result may be influences what you, your perception is of the organization after you, the interaction. Um, and that builds over time with all of the interaction you have with that organizations in the various forms and that uh, presents cumulative UX. So the feeling you have now about what business do you use frequently? Um, I use A bank? What's your bank? Standard Bank. Standard Bank. Okay. So uh, you have interacted with Standard Bank a lot of times already and you have a particular feeling about Standard Bank. Yes. That's the accumulation. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, and then when you interact with a Standard Bank as a branch, that's an instantaneous, oh, instant UX. Of so cumulative would be your a customer's perspective over the course of their life cycle interacting with a brand. Yes. Interesting, okay, cool. Okay. And so that's what you're working on. Uh, so that is what, um, so, that's how I see service design fitting in. Okay, I see. Um, so you're trying to design uh, more cumulate for the more cumulative UX rather than just uh, specific instances. Um, my research is more about innovation. So um, I consider a whole lot of products like uh, apps and things like that, and technologies like the blockchain and whatever it might be. Innovative. Yes, to encourage innovation in South Africa, um, because I think it is dangerous for South Africa not to be innovating, uh, and you don't see much coming from the public sector in South Africa. We we adopt new technologies from all over the place, but we're not really designing our own things. The I'm practice about that, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the reason 
or one of the reasons why I started this podcast is I want to figure out like what does a South African UX perspective look like? Because I think a lot of the times naturally we'll get a lot of our systems and, and ways that we do things from all the Western context. Yes. That's where we get our technology from. Uh, but like how would we I, what's the process of figuring that out here? Because we yeah, have all different so, design choices. My view on this is when we design application, we should, or, or, or anything actually, we should consider uh, the potential users of, of the systems before we build these things. Yeah. Right? And that's how we would do it in South Africa. Okay. So, uh, an example I want to use, or I use a lot, is uh, we have this big wall in Pretoria called Mainland. Mm-hmm. And at Mainland Mall, there's a big taxi crisis with a lot of traffic, uh, taxis standing on the road still. Yeah. Uh, but when you design that mall, why don't you consider that everybody who's going to work there is going to take a taxi there and then you build a taxi rank? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you start thinking like that, then we're solving South African problems, mm-hmm. which is what we should be doing. Sure. Okay. Um, and another benefit of doing it like that is we might come up with solutions to problems that exist elsewhere as well and we can start selling South African innovations to other uh, countries that might be facing similar problems. Sure. Uh, in a previous episode we interviewed your co-partner and co-founder of Monkey & River, Jacques Brosson. So I think we, we've spoken about Monkey & River. What, all this talk of innovations though got me thinking about tax innovation. Yes. And I know that you're involved with tax innovation. Can you maybe tell us about what that is? So I'm doing a technological consultation for tax innovation. Okay. So they incubate a lot of uh, businesses, uh, or let me rather say Monk and River is doing technological consultation okay. for okay. tax innovation. Cool. Um, so students have a lot of ideas mm-hmm. and uh, there's this idea that we should start uh, creating small businesses from universities um, where people still are not caught up in the rat race yet. Um, And so the University of Pretoria is trying to encourage students to be uh, innovative. And that's why we have an incubator called Tux Innovation on campus. Um, Monkey River has a lot of expertise regarding the implementation of technology and that is the sort of thing we do for them. Okay. Uh, but we also uh, advise or consult uh, a range of other businesses on um, how their software should be looking and uh, typically design interfaces or sometimes develop software uh, for those, uh, for our customers. Mm-hmm. We should also be doing more of the what is the in, uh, implication of the technology we're developing? Okay, yeah. the, I think humanity is still trying to figure out how to, how to do that. Yeah. Rudani, thank you so much for making the time. I've really enjoyed this interview. Like, mm-hmm. If people wanted to find out more about you or the research you're doing or um, even Monkey and River, how would you recommend that they, they go about that? Uh, so you can share my uh, UP email address. Yeah, cool. Um, on your podcast, yeah, on your podcast, yeah. yes. 
and then people can email me. I'll, I'll be more than willing to respond. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. All right. cool.